Welcome to the Old Soul, New Soul Astrology Podcast with our teacher, Robert Glasscock. And today we're going to take a listener question from Casey. Hi, Thomas. This is Casey from Concord, North Carolina. I have a question about total lunar eclipses and people who are born on total lunar eclipses and how that affects their chart. If you could weigh in with Robert, that would be awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening, Casey, and thanks for that great question. And we're going to take this a little farther than just a total lunar. We'll talk about eclipses in general. So when we're born on that particular energy, Robert, what are we dealing with? Uh, Thank you, Casey. I love this question. And uh, Thomas is right. Let's just start broader. There are two kinds of eclipses, solar eclipses and lunar eclipses. I'm a big believer in teaching astrologers how to think their way through anything. Books are always helpful. Teachers are always helpful. Classes are always helpful. But ultimately, it comes down to your ability to look at a horoscope and think, what am I looking at here? So think about, let's start with solar eclipses, and we'll come back to Casey's lunar eclipse. Think about what happens at a total solar eclipse. The moon passes directly between the earthly observer and the sun. So astrologers say that the moon conjuncts the sun. A solar eclipse, then, is a special new moon moon phase. Eclipses only happen when the sun and moon, whether they're in conjunction or opposition, are aligned with the nodes of the moon. the, The north and south nodes of the moon are the points on the ecliptic where the moon either ascends above the ecliptic or the south node ascends, descends below it. So eclipses have to take place near the, the nodes. But when you have a total solar eclipse, the apparent disks of the sun and the moon viewed from the earth at a solar eclipse are almost exactly the same size. And so one of the most stunning sights on Earth, if you view it safely through a telescope with a solar filter over the lens to view an eclipse, are the solar flares that are erupting millions of miles into space from behind the black disk of the moon. I got to tell you, I saw the last one because I was living up near uh, Wyoming and I went up there to see it. And I was at this party with some friends, and a guy brings one of those big telescopes, and he had the sun filter. And we got to see that exact thing. How did you feel? Like there's no other experience that you can describe. It's exactly as you're saying. And to be able to look in a telescope and then look at the horizon from there, you could see literally a 360 and it's all just golden as though it were sunset. It's one of the most amazing natural phenomenon. I think the only other place that could be more magnificent is if you saw it from a ship. Jim Lewis, who created astrocartography and was very successful at that business when he finally sold it before he died, he took himself on a cruise ship into, I guess it was the Pacific, to view a solar eclipse directly from, you know, the path of it and so on. And then not too many years ago, we had one across America that I, you know, we all saw. But, and it was during that eclipse, in fact, that I was able to look at the the sun through a telescope that this astronomer had here. And it's just 
staggering because the sun, of course, is alive. It's the source of all life on Earth. It's the fire that vitalizes every living thing. But to see it behind this black disk of the moon and just see the flares spewing, it, it looks like a living thing. And you realize, my God, I'm connecting with the heart of the solar system here. It's, it's really awesome in the original sense of the word experience. Well, look at what's happening. Think about it. In astrology's archetypes, the moon darkens and blocks the sun's life-giving light temporarily. So the archetypal cookbook readout would be emotions block reason or logos. So issues involving the moon and its archetype, issues like home and family, food and water and shelter, money and security needs, customs and traditions, tribal identity, nationalism and protectionism, all these kinds of things can temporarily block the life force, which is, of course, the force that gives birth to and sustains every living form, including the Earth's biosphere, the whole ecological systems. And you go back to the Bible, and God, or the all that is, said, let there be light, and there was light. But a solar eclipse temporarily obstructs that light, especially if you're under the direct eclipse path. So the moon and cancer archetypes, which are always involved in these eclipses, are about families and ancestries, the womb, the nest, the past, family and group pressures then to conform to expectation. Let's just say, for example, family and group pressures to conform to expectations and marry and have children are very powerful. And those things can thwart true individualization and self-integration by pulling individuals away from their true calling and hopes, at least for a time, if not maybe for the rest of their lives. So people or nations will hear things like, ah, your dreams are totally unrealistic. Who do you think you are? You've got dependence. You can't take this risk. So you're getting all these lunar family tradition, uh, tribal messages. Don't leave the tribe. Don't be who you are. So underlying a solar eclipse, which is a, a, a full moon, I mean, excuse me, a new moon, is this tendency to want to circle the wagons and protect the nest from these savage outside attackers. Well, all of that is essentially about fear of change. Something or someone significant appears to be dying under a solar eclipse, literally or figuratively. And the sense of security for everybody is threatened. This is all deep and kind of unconscious, but it's there. Everybody knows what needs to be done, but they're afraid to do it for various and sundry excuses because of tribal and group and, and peer pressure and so on. So the sign archetypes that are involved in the solar eclipse will tell you much of the story when it comes to interpreting 
a solar eclipse, which is very emphatic, but it's still a passing configuration. So you go back to the last solar eclipse of December 4th, 2021. It was in Sagittarius and Gemini, almost exactly on the United States ascendant at 12 Sag, for example. But those sign archetypes apply to in the, the entire world if you're dealing with mundane astrology. And the signs of Gemini and Sagittarius, which is where this December 4th, 2021 eclipse occurred, Sagittarius Gemini rules the internet and the global brain that connects all businesses and economies today for the first time in world history. Mankind's scientific and technological evolution has created for the first time in history a global brain that instantly connects everybody, all businesses, all economies, all politics. Those two signs, Sag and Gemini, also rule the world's infrastructure, roads and bridges, transportation systems, all communications networks, sewage, water, electric grids, and so on. Those signs also happen to rule the judiciary, Gemini and Sagittarius. Those signs rule voting, including voting booths and voting machines and local polling places and personnel to man those tens of thousands of people, volunteers mostly who man the polling places. Those signs rule all media, journalism, publishing, books, education, and religion. Sagittarius is religion's domain. So you can see just from the December eclipse last year that these are particular areas that are pointed out by that eclipse for attention that must be paid. And by the way, Gemini and Sagittarius also rule the environment and the climate. The third house is more about the local climate and the ninth house is more about the global climate. And in every case under this eclipse, emotion blocks reason for a time. We know what we have to be doing about climate change. We're not doing it. Big business resisted. Religions resisted because it's change. And as we know now, for, for example, just take religion, which is a Sagittarian element. For the first time in American history this past year, uh, it was either the Gallup poll or the Pew poll, I think it was the Gallup poll, said that for the first time in American history, less than 50% of Americans say that they're religious, that they go to church. First time. So you're seeing the gradual ebbing away or dying, if you will, of a lot of these old archetypes which have identified these tribal identities for everybody. And there's a natural fear of having those traditions and beliefs undermined, but they are. Uh, we've been through this many times in the world. There used to be a day where people literally believed in Thor and Zeus. They no longer do because we've moved on from Thor and Zeus and we're still moving on. You can't stop life. So in a solar eclipse, your focus most 
productively, I guess, is what is on be what's being born under this new moon solar eclipse. And that's one focus. And the other one is a rational acceptance of what is ending or over rather than clinging to it out of often very deep but irrational fears about change. A lunar eclipse, think about it. A lunar eclipse is a full moon, which in astrology is an opposition between the sun and the moon near the nodes. So the sun and the moon are on either side of the earth, which is in the middle, and the earth casts its shadow on the moon. So in a lunar eclipse, the earth itself casts its shadow or blocks the light. In a solar eclipse, the moon comes between the earth and the sun and blocks the light of the sun. So in a lunar eclipse, it's not the moon blocking the light of the sun, it's the earth. Earthy matters, earthly matters, block or shadow the feeling archetypes of the moon. So in a lunar eclipse, physical materiality temporarily overtakes things like compassion and nurturing and parenting. And it can come in many ways. It could, it could be uh, a physical material reality, such as a physical illness that overtakes your instinct to nurture and be compassionate. It could be a lack of funds or a lack of a job, material, physical, material concerns. Or it could be the opposite of that. It could be obsession with money and status at the expense of healthy family relationships and so on. It could be a kind of lust and greed for money and power. Incidentally, Donald Trump was born under a lunar eclipse in Gemini Sagittarius, for example, just what I've described to you. So you want to look at the signs in which the eclipse occurs and the houses involved in, in your own horoscope where the eclipse occurs to get a sense of its direct influence in your particular life as compared to somebody else's horoscope. Because it's, it's a, a really critical emphasis if it's in your birth chart. It's with you all of your life. And it can be a wonderful sense uh, if you study it a bit, meditate on it, think about it a little bit on astrology. It'd be a wonderful key to the most critical areas of your life to pay attention to. Because in this, this life, because you're born under these eclipses, those areas are where you will experience this sort of death and rebirth motif that accompanies eclipses. So there will be conflicts involving those two houses and, and, and whatever, whatever the signs are that rule those. But out of that conflict, you will transform yourself, create a new kind of approach to those matters that probably is very different from your background and your family, for example. I don't know. This is just a quick thumbnail approach to this, Thomas, and I don't know if this helps you, Casey, or not. I don't know what signs yours are in or what houses. But if you think about these, as a, uh, it's a very prominent 
aspect in a birth chart. It's probably the most prominent aspect to be born under an eclipse. And it can be the key to your life if you will think about the signs involved, the houses involved, and this whole idea of transforming, moving away from perhaps what you were born into towards something that is more individualistic and truly you. All right. So back to Casey's question now, and with this connection of the solar and the lunar with the combination, should she go back and look for her prior, even prenatal eclipse, but at least around the time that she was born to tie the solar and lunar eclipses together? You certainly can do that. There are all sorts. I love this prenatal eclipse that you bring up. Um, Prenatal aspects are aspects, obviously, that happen before you're born. But And one of the classics is to look at the um, the moon's last aspect, or really any planet in the birth chart, its last aspect before you were born, to get a sense of perhaps an underlying trend, or some astrologers would say karmic trend, maybe a past life trend that it, that is filtering into this life. Uh, I wouldn't. I would concentrate, if I were Casey, on the meaning and implications of the solar eclipse under which she was born for her life. And think of it that way. Look at the houses where the eclipse at her birth falls, the sun and the moon. And by the way, where the lights are in anybody's chart by house and by sign are crucial. They're the two lights, the sun and the moon. So if she were to look at and study her birth natal eclipse, the house positions the op- that, that that eclipse falls in, uh, aspects to that eclipse, both harmonious aspects and, and hard aspects, she will begin to get a real sense of where she needs to take action in her life if she, she has hard aspects between that eclipse and, and natal planets, and also where she, she can expect to be able to capitalize on her own insights and growth in a positive way through her career, through her personal life, and so on, the positive aspects to that eclipse. I, uh, you can get lost in astrology. There's no end to it. There are 100,000 things you can look at. <laughs> I'm a big believer in Occam's razor. Keep it simple, stupid. You just go for the simple. Just start. I Sadly, Thomas, I have found a lot of astrologers, especially new ones, think that they're smart by focusing on a lot of obscure techniques or ancillary techniques, but they can't read a basic chart. They're so lost in this bending of the nodes or the anorectic points and, and on and on and on. Look at what the, oh, look, and here's Chiron. Uh, somebody asked me yesterday in a reading, do you use Chiron? And I said, no, I tried it when it first became popular back in the, or introduced back in the 60s, early 70s. And I kept reading it and kept trying to get something out of it that I didn't get elsewhere. But in fact, I don't. The wounded healer, I see that elsewhere in the chart anyway. So it's not that Chiron is wrong. It's just that in my practice, it never has added anything to to my readings that right. I don't already get. That may not be true for somebody else. Tell them real quick where you see it. Oh, you can see it from uh, Mercury, for example, aspects to Mercury, aspects to the sixth house, aspects to the ninth house, aspects to the cadent houses, the third, the ninth, the sixth, and the twelfth. Because those are the, you know, as you know, in, in astro- natal astrology, the sixth house is not just work and health. That's the easy things. It really is the house of psychological self-integration. It's how a person puts their lives together. 
So if you if you think about your birth at the first house, then you grow, you you, you gradually you first you realize, oh, I have a body, I can make noises. That's Taurus, the second house. Ah, ah, mama, mama, vocalizing, and you realize I've got hands, I can touch them, I can feel whether it's cold or hot or dry. You see, so getting acquainted with the the physical senses, all of which are Taurus, and then the third house. Now you become aware of. I have a sibling or more than a sibling. I have people coming in. And I have relatives. I have a family. These are, this, these are my parents, fourth house. Now I'm going to kindergarten, preschool. This is the fifth house. I'm meeting other little friends. I'm learning things. This is fun. I'm learning what I love to do. Very early, this happens. Uh, and then you get to the sixth house, which is the house just before the seventh. And from the seventh house on, those are all above the horizon line of the ascendant descendant. So they're more public spheres. The houses below the ascendant descendant line are, are private spheres. So when you get to the sixth house by that stage and age of growth, you are beginning to put everything together for yourself in preparation for emerging publicly into the seventh house and going on up. So uh, I have Uranus in my sixth house, for example. It happens to trine my sun and sextiles my moon. So I am a Libra, but I'm not like any other Libra. I'm, I'm a Uranian Libra. I put myself together through Uranus and Gemini in my sixth house, and it's retrograde. One of the reasons I'm an astrologer today, I'm sure, is because Uranus rules astrology. It's in Gemini of communications in my sixth house of work. I had two careers parallel. The other one was television writing. Ruled by Uranus and communications, again, Mercury and Gemini. So the sixth house is how I put myself together. And I've always felt this. I have never felt at home anywhere. It's not that I feel like an outsider, but I've never felt anywhere as permanent. And that's fine with me. So it's a different kind. Of, and my whole orientation since I'm 20 years old and got introduced to astrology has been through that lens of astrology. So I have a different kind of perspective on life than most other people do. It doesn't mean it's better. It's just different. I got one other drill down on Casey's question. She asked about a full lunar eclipse. What about the difference between partial eclipses and full eclipses? Well, the effects are still there, but they're not usually as dramatic with a partial eclipse as they are with a total eclipse. That's really the only difference. They're still emphatic. Any eclipse is. But if it's a direct eclipse, or a total eclipse, rather, uh, then you're talking about something that's really powerful. Well, speaking of really powerful, that answer was really powerful. Thank you for examining all aspects of eclipses and setting us up with a lot of information that probably most of us have not thought about. You know, we have a continuing conversation that I'd like to tell you about. We haven't mentioned this here before. Our Discord channel is a fun astrology podcast Discord channel. That's my podcast that I do Monday through Friday. But we have an old soul, new soul segment on the Discord channel. So if you go on Discord and search up the Fun Astrology Podcast, you'll find the conversation there ongoing. It's really becoming a great astrology forum and blog. So if you'd like to engage in some astrological conversation with other people from around the world, well, we've got a great channel for that. 
Thank you so much for listening. Robert, great answer. We'll see you all next time on the Old Soul, New Soul Astrology Podcast with Robert Glasscock.